Good morning, church family. How are you doing today? Good. It is good to be here. Yes, lots of good things happening, even the golf scramble. Uh, it's coming up. You can sign up for that. Uh, be praying, yeah, for Ray, and uh, be praying for all our missionaries. You may remember we actually sent two young men out earlier this year, Eli Haugen and Harrison Ingalls. We sent them out. They're back now. So if you see them after second service, uh, talk to them, hear encouragement from them. And uh, yes, I just have to give one more plug as well uh, for home groups. You should have gotten a little handout uh, on your way in this morning with your bulletin. Um, really, I want to challenge you to not make your uh, experience at church just attendance on Sundays. Uh, I want to really challenge you as a church family not just to consider your time at Graham Emanuel in terms of only Sunday mornings. Uh, really commit to finding community here at the church. We have different avenues for that. Home groups is a very, very good one. Uh, men's Bible study, women's Bible study are also very good ones. The precept classes are good ones. You have options. Use the Church Center app. Uh, the QR code is there for free. You can use that uh, to get connected because church is not just something that you go to. Church is something that you are. We are the body of Christ together. Uh, so I want to really uh, challenge you in that, pray about that, talk about that with your family, and think about how you can take that next step in really being part of the church here at Graham. Uh, but with that being said, let's continue to worship. Uh, we haven't ended our time of worship or continuing our time of worship as we transition from a musical time of worship now to worshiping in God's Word. So let's pray that God speaks to us through His Word. And remember, as always, I say this often, God's word is meant to be applied. So let's pray that God uses his word to convict our hearts to actually live out his word this week and in the weeks ahead. So let's pray that God will work through his word this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Thank you for equipping us with the Holy Spirit to actually apply your word. Lord, we recognize that without your spirit dwelling within us, we would be totally incapable of knowing you or obeying you or being like you in any way. All of the obedience that we do for your glory is only because of your spirit working within us to please you, to imitate your son Jesus Christ, and to make your son Jesus Christ known to this world. Lord, we lift up all the facets of this church where we are making disciples, and where we are training and edifying each other with your word. May you make us a church that, are, that we are not only hearers of your word, but that we are also doers. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So not too long ago, somebody sent me a text message of a book that they were reading. They sent me a page out of a, text, out of a book on heaven. And this was a good book on heaven. It was by a pretty well-known author. And the page that this person was reading in this book on heaven made a very interesting point that this person wanted me to hear. And this author, he's a very famous pastor and, and well-known author and speaker, he said that his whole life he had gone to seminary, Bible college, had been taught almost every single part imaginable of Scripture other than heaven. He says that he would learn all about sin. He would learn about salvation. He would go to church on Sunday, and the topics were always on 
the Christian life and, and how to avoid sin or how to please God or about the gospel or the cross, all good things. But he said that Christians don't spend enough time talking about heaven. Revelation chapter 1, 21 and 22, he says they don't talk enough about what is actually waiting for us in the new heaven and the new earth. He said, this author said that Christians need to spend more of their time thinking about heaven. And in some ways, I very much agree with that sentiment. Christians do need to be thinking more about heaven. That's very much what Paul has been saying in Colossians chapter 3. Christians need to live on earth with a focus on the future. We should be living on earth with a heavenly perspective. We should be thinking often about heaven. That is future-focused faith. But I also have a friendly disagreement with the author in the sense that when he says that we should talk about and think about heaven, he referred to Revelation 21 and 22. Those are not the only chapters in the Bible that talk about heaven. And in fact, there is one chapter in Scripture that talks about heaven a lot but we often don't realize it. One of the best chapters describing heaven is actually Colossians chapter 3. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And as you turn to Colossians chapter 3, I want you to realize that Colossians chapter 3 is a chapter describing what heaven is going to be like. Not just the kind of place that heaven is, a place without tears, bricks of gold, hopefully no calories, all the things that we're used to thinking of when we think about what we expect heaven to be. Colossians 3, on the other hand, talks about what people are going to be like in heaven. It's a description of heaven from a personal perspective. Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, he says that the way that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is by setting our mind on the things that are above, where Christ is. For the rest of chapter 3, Paul is going to explain what heaven is going to be like. He's going to explain what ethnicity is going to be like in heaven. He's going to talk about what family is going to be like in heaven. He's going to talk about what interpersonal relationships and attitudes are going to be like in heaven. He even talks about what employer and employee relationships are going to be like in heaven. He gives a picture of heaven not just of the sensible things, the, the sensational things, but he gives a picture of heaven of the spiritual things. Because if we are truly destined for heaven, if we truly have new life in Christ and are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then that means that we are called to think about heaven often but to think about heaven in such a way that it impacts the way that we live on earth today. We should think about heaven in terms of what we would do up there and then use it to determine what we do down here. That's what faithful living looks like. That's what living with heavenly perspective looks like. Thinking about your future life in heaven and using it to impact your life on earth. So this morning... In Colossians chapter 3, we are going to look at verses 7 and 8. This is going to be a continuation of verses 5 and 6, where Paul is going to talk about how by faith Christians can live on earth with a heavenly perspective. And remember, the point of all of this 
is in order to walk or to live a Christian life in a way or in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. The point of Colossians is spiritual growth, how to grow as a Christian. And Paul, last week, he talked about sins that are being put to death. In verses 7 and 8, he's going to continue to talk about sin, where he says this. Verse 7, Paul says, In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And even look at the beginning of verse 9 where he ends the list by saying, do not lie to one another. The big idea for this morning is going to be similar to last week's big idea, is that God calls Christians to live with a heavenly perspective by putting off sin. Last week, the big idea was to live with a heavenly perspective or to live for heaven by crucifying sin in our life, by putting to death the members of our flesh. That was one example of imagery that Paul gave that Christians should be killing in their body the things that are tempting them to sin. He's going to now use another analogy, actually a very common analogy in the Bible in an ancient writing where he says that Christians are to live for heaven by putting off sin. And today we're going to talk about what that means to put off sin. There's a meaning in it that's beyond what you might just think. So let's start with the first point of Paul explaining why we need to live for heaven by putting off sin. The first point is this, is that we should live for heaven by putting off sin because you do the things that you dwell in. Think about that. You do the things that you dwell in. When you move to a different culture, kind of like Ray, how she's going to be going to a different culture, when you travel, when you live in a certain place, the longer that you stay there, the closer your behavior conforms to your culture. The place where you live, where you are dwelling, shapes your behavior. This is what Paul means at the beginning of verse 7 when he says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. When Paul refers to in these things or in these you too once walked, the these is defining that which is earthly in verse 5. So if you look at the beginning of verse 5 where Paul says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, That's what these is defining at the beginning of verse 7, which could be a blanket statement for all sin. Any example of sin that you can think of, whether Paul has listed it or not, Paul says that we should put these things off, we should put them to death, and at the beginning of verse 7, he says, in these you once walked, or another way of putting it, in these things you were once habitually doing, that's what walking means in the New Testament, when used this way, you were habitually doing these things, he says, when you were living in them. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say that you were walking in these sins before you knew better or before you had a chance to hear one of Paul's sermons and and then you realized that, well, well, sin was bad and then you changed your ways. The explanation that Paul gives 
for why the Colossians were walking in sin was because he says that they were living in their sin. What does it mean to live in your sin? It can mean two things. It can mean the example that I just gave of your surrounding yourself with people who are sinners and non-believers, and as a result, that is producing fruit in you through habitual sin. It could mean that, that you are acting like the people that you are surrounding yourself with by living in sin. But by living in sin, that also refers to your former life. When you were born on this earth, you were born in sin. The life that you were born into, even my precious little daughter Anna, as cute as she is, she's a little sinner. She was born into sin. Her life is a life of sin. And because she's living in her life of sin, that means that naturally she is going to grow up and habitually commit sin. But that's why Jesus says that we have to be born again. That's why Jesus says that we have to be crucified with Christ and raised to new life. The point is that we die to our old life of sin in order so that we can live to our new life with God. But you have to ask yourself, your life, your specific life, Monday through Sunday, the things you do, the things you think, the things you say, is there habitual sin in your life? Are you walking in sin? If you are, that is an indication that you are still living in your old life. Even if you have new life, even if you've been resurrected with Christ by faith, or in this case, a lack of faith, it's like you are returning back to your corpse and returning back to your old dead life and living your old life. And that's why the result of your old life is sinfulness. The point is that the thing in which you're living in or dwelling in, that is going to impact your actions, whether it's the community that you surround yourself in or you choosing as a Christian to continue living your old life. If you are a believer and you are living in your old life, you are in your actions denying the resurrection. You are like Peter who is denying Christ and slandering the Lord. That's what you do when you have been crucified with Christ and you've been raised with Christ, but then you choose to revert back to this old life of sin that you've been killed to. It's ridiculousness. It's crazy, the idea of going back to something that is dead. So the question is, is if we're not supposed to live in our sin anymore, what are we supposed to live in? What are we supposed to dwell in? Turn with me to John 15. John 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's one of the chapters of Scripture, kind of like Hebrews 11, kind of like Romans 6. You could almost incorporate it in any Sunday sermon. It's a, it's a bedrock chapter. There's a lot of mileage that you can get out of a chapter like this in understanding the rest of Scripture. Because Jesus is telling his disciples, now that he's about to leave them, They've been walking with him. They've been talking with him. They've been staying with him from town to town. He's now going to leave them and give them the great commission to advance the gospel on their own. Now he's giving them instructions on what they should do as disciples once Jesus is physically absent. And in John 15, you'll recognize this passage. Verse 4, Jesus tells them to continue doing 
once he's gone, the same things that they have been doing when he was present with them, which is to live with him. This is what Jesus means in verse 4 when he says, abide in me. That word abide means simply to live with, to dwell with, to reside with, to stay with. That's what the word abide means. Sometimes the word abide comes across as too spiritual. Like, like we think of it as kind of this odd spiritual word. It's a very practical word. It means to be with, to stay with. Jesus says, abide in me, live in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me or live in me or dwell in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides or lives or dwells with Jesus in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. The way that you have a life of obedience and the way that you have a life of victory over sin is by abiding in Christ. You have a choice of who you want to live with spiritually. You can either live with your old self, the old self that has been crucified, and as a result, you will live like that old self used to live, or you can make the decision to dwell with Christ. And because the person who you dwell with will impact what you do, just like Jesus says here in John 15, abiding in him, through abiding him, the vine will allow the branch, will produce in the branch fruit that the branch will carry. The question is, is how do we abide in Christ? What does it mean to live in Christ? What does it mean to dwell with Christ? Three things. You'll hear me say this over the years, over and over again. I think after the gospel, I think this is one of the most basic and important things I'll ever teach you guys. Dwelling with Christ means habitually spending time in God's word, habitually spending time in personal prayer, and habitually prioritizing time with other believers. And by prioritizing, I mean think about the people that you spend your time with on a weekly basis. Sometimes you have to spend time with people, like time at work, for example. But your social life, you get to choose your community. Make sure that you prioritize your community of being amongst believers, specifically believers in your local church, other people who have God's Spirit dwelling within them to edify each other. That's one way that you abide in Christ. The second one is personal prayer, not just praying before meals, not just praying when you come to church, but making prayer a daily habit of your life, making it part of your daily schedule where you are going to talk to God. You are going to talk to your Savior. It would be ridiculous to think that you have a relationship with someone if you never talk to them. Yet we claim to have a relationship with Christ when we never talk to him. And then finally, spending time in God's word. There are so many Bible reading plans out there. You can always uh, even just choose individual books of the Bible to read, but make sure that you are having time daily to dwell with Christ in his word, and that will impact what you do. Because if you're not actively, as a Christian, making the choice to dwell with the person that you're going to be with in heaven, if you're not actively making the choice to live the life that you are someday going to have in God's presence in the new heaven and new earth, you by default will return back to your old life and live in your old life. And your fruit will be an indicator of that. So that's the first point, that you do the things that you dwell in. 
The second point is this, that Christians are called to put off all sin. You can turn back with me now to Colossians chapter 3. This is in some ways a repeat of the big idea, but this is the nugget of the passage. Paul admits, he says, in these sins you once walked when you were living in them, but now, as we talk about living in Christ or abiding in Christ, when you live with Christ or abide with Christ, you will be convicted to do this, where Paul says, but now you must put them all away. When Paul says that you must put them all away, the word that he's using for put off is the word used to describe taking off a piece of clothing, taking off a jacket, taking off a hat. When you guys get home from church, you're probably going to get into some sweatpants or pajamas or maybe a Seahawks jersey. You're going to change your clothes out of your church clothes into your Sunday afternoon clothes, I bet. Or maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. Who knows? I don't stay in my suit all Sunday. I like to change when I go home. I put those things off and I put on other things. Last week, the imagery that Paul used was putting to death our sin. That's a very active, conscious decision to kill or to crucify or to, uh, to mortify sin in our life. Today, the active example that he's giving is making the active, conscious decision to put off our sin like one would take off their tie, put off their jacket, put off their shirt. This imagery was used all the time in all kinds of ancient writing, not only the Bible. It was a common analogy. We see it all the time in the Old Testament. We see it all the time in the New Testament because unlike us today in the post-industrial revolution where clothes are cheap, we can have a whole closet full of clothes, and husbands, don't nudge your wives when I say that. We can have a whole closet just full of shoes or clothes or shirts or whatever. Back then in ancient times, you only had a couple of garments of clothing over the course of your life. The idea of having multiple sets of clothes was totally foreign to most people unless you were extremely wealthy in a member of royalty. Clothes were expensive. They took a lot of time to make. They were expensive materials to put together. Joseph, when he got his coat of many colors, that was a big deal. Not just that it was of many colors, but that he got this garment that he could put on. That was a thing of value. As a result, when people would see each other, they became very used to seeing each other in the same clothes day after day after day. It sounds kind of gross to us, but back then that was just typical. Everyone wore the same clothes over the course of their life. If a person was to show up in town one day with a new outfit, with a new set of clothes, that would be a big deal that everyone would notice that. That would be something that people were talking about. It was a visible change in that person's identity. Their clothing was tied to who they were, which is why Paul talks about our identity. He talks about the Colossians' identity as Christians and how they are supposed to put off their sin just like one would put off a dirty garment. When you come in from mowing the grass or you come in from doing yard work or you come back from going to the gym, you want to take off the dirty clothes and put on clean clothes. That is how Paul is describing sin 
here in this verse. And he uses it all throughout the New Testament. In Romans chapter 13, he gives an example of this uh, for the positive, where he talks about putting on the armor of light. In Ephesians chapter 6, he gives the famous example of putting on the armor of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, this is just more examples. Putting away or putting off all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. It's like that movie, The Wizard of Oz, where they wanted to see the wizard, but one of the problems was is that they were not fit to see the wizard. They weren't properly dressed. They weren't, uh, the, the, their hairdos weren't done up. They, they weren't uh, in, in a right place to see the wizard. Therefore, they had to all get shined up and get a new dress and, and get changed in order for them to be presented to the wizard in the same way here on earth. God is preparing us for heaven. Heaven is the place where he purifies us, where he conforms us into the image of his son. That transition between earth and heaven, this is the place. There is no purgatory. The Bible never teaches about a place between heaven and earth where you go to get prepared for heaven. This is that place. This is the place where we are called to take off those sins that were part of our old life. To recognize that, hey, we are citizens of heaven. We're going to be in heaven someday. What are the things that we are wearing, so to speak? What are the spiritual things that are part of our identity that we need to cast off, that we need to take off, that we wouldn't be caught dead wearing in the kingdom of God? Paul is going to give examples of that in our third point. When he says to put off sin or to take it off like you take off a garment, he gives another list of examples. Last week's list of examples were ones of sexual sin. But today, for the third point, Paul is going to give a second list where he gives examples of anger. So the third point is going to be to put off anger. One of the best ways and one of the clearest ways that you will be convicted if you are abiding in Christ, if you're living in Him, you will be convicted of the sins in your life that most Christians are far too comfortable with. That Paul lists at the end of verse 8, where he says, you must put away anger, you must put away wrath, you must put away malice, you must put away slander, you must put away obscene talk from your mouth, you must not lie to one another at the beginning of verse 9. Isn't it interesting that talking to believers, Paul is talking to believers here, he's talking to relatively mature believers, and the two examples, the two lists of sin that he gives them are sexual sins and sins of anger and emotion. Paul knows. Paul knows what we struggle with. Paul knows that even believers who, they may not be robbing banks, they, not, they may not be uh, committing crimes and doing these uh, egregious examples of sin, all Christians struggle with sexual sin and sins involving anger. We would be amazed to know how many houses, even from here in this church perhaps, of Christians are full of fist-sized holes in the drywall. Times where we get angry, times where we react, times where we use our words to hurt each other. Paul is referring to all sin when he talks about what Christians should do in preparation for heaven. 
But it should be noted that the examples of sin that he gives happen to be examples that even Christians post-salvation, throughout their salvation life, continue to struggle with, and that actively we need to recognize that we need to kill it and we need to put it off like we would put off a dirty shirt. That when we live a life full of anger, hatefulness, when we just blow up with curse words and swearing, where we use every opportunity to talk poorly about people and to try to slyly use our words to cut people down and to kind of convince other people to think about people poorly and in a certain way, when we do that, we are living in a way that we are not going to live in heaven. So why are we living this way on earth? When you die and go to heaven, you are not going to be full of malice. You're not going to be looking at other people around you, trying to put them down or make fun of them or gossip about them. You're not going to be blowing up and hitting stuff every time someone does you wrong in the tiniest way. You're going to be living in light of who God is. You're, you're going to be living in submission to him. You're going to be living in peace with him and in other people. Therefore, live that way now and don't be comfortable living in a way on earth that is not the way that you're going to live in heaven. Don't be comfortable with that. Just like you wouldn't be comfortable going out working in the yard and coming in and being in the house in dirty clothes all day, don't be comfortable living on earth in sinfulness when you know that in heaven those things are going to be taken away from you. Don't be comfortable in that. Don't be apathetic towards that. Make war against those sins in your life. Put them to death. Rip them off of you. It's why God has given us his spirit the Spirit has equipped us to do these things. It is possible, husbands, dads, it is possible for you to not be angry. It is possible for you to not blow up when things don't go your way. Wives, moms, it is possible for you to be kind with your words, to be uplifting, to be positive, even when there's a chance to be negative. It is possible to do those things in the Spirit. We are equipped to put off these things. These are not hopeless endeavors that God has called us to. We are not hopeless to these examples of sin, saying, oh, well, this is just how I am. This is just my personality. It's not your personality. It's your sinfulness. And it's been crucified. And we are called to put it off of us. So why aren't we doing it? We love to think about the golden streets of heaven. We don't want to talk about how we are going to act in heaven. Because it means that we're going to have to start acting that way now. I know I'm running out of time, but you know, as I reflect on these things, I just got to say, it's amazing to me how often I hear other Christians defend these kind of sins in their life. Oh, well, I'm just kind of that person. I'm, I'm the kind of person that I'll get in your face if I see that something's wrong. No, that means you're a jerk. It means that you struggle with a lack of self-control. It means that you need to learn to be patient. You need to learn to be kind, to have your words seasoned with salt. Don't glorify that as a personality type. I see Christians do that. You would be amazed, even at my time at Bible college, my time in Christian institutions, you would be amazed how often I hear other Christians defending using curse words, swearing, it's amazing to me that we're okay with this. And we say things like, oh, well, the Bible doesn't say which words are curse words and which words aren't. The Bible, it's just a word. 
A curse word is the word that you wouldn't say if Jesus walked into the room right now. A curse word is the word that you wouldn't say at a job interview because you're not stupid. It's the kind of word that you wouldn't say of asking the father of, of your bride to marry her because you're not stupid. Yet we are children of the king. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Yet we would behave in the way of the kind of people that God wouldn't allow in his kingdom. We need to put those things to death. We need to put them off. We need to be disgusted by sin in our life. Instead of being disgusted by other people's sin, we need to start being disgusted by our own sin and putting them off from us. Because our future is heaven. Yes, we will groan in this old body. We will have successes. We will also have defeats. We will have failings in sin, but there is also a promise of sanctification where we are growing and being transformed and conformed. There should be Christ-likeness that is growing in your life as you're abiding in Christ. It should not be a static line here on earth. You should be more Christ-like a year from now than you are today. And if you're not, that's partly my fault for having not taught correctly. And that's also your fault for your lack of faithfulness in the spirit that God has given you and in the commands that God has given you. I'll end with this. I was once in a very painful, I've been in several, but I was once in a very painful church discipline situation. It doesn't matter with who. It was just one that happened over the past 10 years. And as we were having church discipline with this person, they were leaving the church as a result of this discipline, and they said something very interesting. They ended by saying, you know, we're all going to be in heaven together someday. And that person was right. We are going to be in heaven together someday. That was partly why we were disciplining this person because they weren't acting in the way that they will be acting with us when we are in heaven with that person someday. But it also was a reminder to us that the reason why we were doing that discipline wasn't to make us happy or to punish him or to have some kind of cruel kind of um, reaction to this person's sin. It was because we wanted to help prepare this person for heaven. And the way that we're going to react and respond to each other in God's kingdom is the way that we should be treating each other now. So as a result, let's by faith choose to not be comfortable with our sin and to kill it and to put it off because heaven is waiting for us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I do pray for this person and uh, the other people just in all churches who have been disciplined, unfortunately. I pray for those painful situations. I pray for times where people have failed in sinfulness They've drifted into their old life of sinfulness. And Lord, we ask that you give us a perspective by faith that chooses to live on earth the way that we're going to live in heaven. We're going to be in your presence in heaven, but you also are dwelling in us by your spirit, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that we will walk according to your spirit and not according to our flesh, that by your spirit you will equip us to put to death sin in our life, to put off examples of sin off of us like one removes a garment so that we can prepare for heaven and proclaim heaven with both our thoughts, our words, and our actions here on earth. We love you, God, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, I love you, church family. Have a great Sunday. I hope all the football games work out the way that you want, unless you're a Cowboys fan. Go in peace. <laughs>